Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 346. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers, and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprincing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode, 346. We've been running a special promotion called the Slow Flowers Luxury Package, offering anyone who registers for the Slow Flowers Summit this coming June 29th a bit of encouragement to register early. The promotion ended on Sunday, April 22nd, Earth Day, and I'm excited to announce our winner, chosen in a blind drawing, Marianne Perviance of What Cheer Flower Farm in Providence, Rhode Island. Marion, we're so happy to award you with the $400 gift package, which includes a full-year premium membership in Slow Flowers and one night stay at the Marriott Wardman Park, the Summit Hotel. Congratulations. There will be another promotion announced next week, so if you missed this chance, tune in for more details to enter. You can get all the information about Slow Flowers Summit at slowflowersummit.com. Please join us for what promises to be a fantastic day of networking, inspiration, and personal growth. I can't wait to see you there. Today's guest is British floral designer Joseph Massey, a featured instructor at Toby Nelson's recent Whidbey Flower Workshop. I've been so eager to interview Joseph, and because I was one of the other instructors during the Whidbey Flower Workshop, our paths crossed, and Joseph graciously agreed to let me turn on the recorder. He may never remember having met two years ago during Detroit Flower Week, but of course, I made sure to introduce myself and congratulate him for the amazing floral installation that he and students created for that final dinner, hosted by another genius floral friend, Lisa Wad. I was eager to see and learn from Joseph this week, especially because Toby's workshop description promised that Joseph would, quote, guide us through all the layers of designing and engineering large-scale, foam-free floral installations. You'll see photographs of some of the highlights of the workshop at today's show notes for episode 346, found at deborahprinzing.com. Frequently referred to by the media as, quote, the floral artist of his generation, Joseph Massey is widely regarded as one of Europe's top botanical artists. Aged just 14, Joseph desperately wanted a weekend job, and after successfully applying to the local flower stall, he began spending his weekends working in his hometown of Liverpool, the UK. Perhaps to some, it was an uncommon interest for a 14-year-old boy, but Joseph quickly found his vocation amongst the buckets of blossoms and buds. Taking steps to pursue his passion, Joseph self-funded his education and began to hone his practice and develop a creative ethos, participating in intense training sessions with top international designers and artists. To further build his artistic vocabulary, Joseph began to participate first in regional followed by national floral design competitions and at age 19 won his first national design competition, the BFA Young Florist of the Year in 2017. Following his national title victory, Joseph took his first steps onto the world stage at Eurofleurs in Belgium in 2008. European success was followed in quick succession by competing at the highly regarded 40th World Skills Competition in Calgary in Canada in 2009, where he became the first and only UK competitor to ever take home a bronze medal, ranked third worldwide in floristry. Joseph completed his extraordinary international run by finishing with the silver medal, ranked second in Europe at Eurofleurs, the European Youth Championships held in Manchester in 2010. 
While experiencing humbling international success, his achievements were proudly echoed on his home soil, winning 17 national and international competitions and awards, including five consecutive RHS gold medals and four Best in Show awards at the world-renowned RHS Chelsea Flower Show. Joseph is the youngest person to ever achieve this feat. Joseph's studio has three creative focuses. The first is Joseph Massey Botanical Art, which includes major installations and commissions for public and private clients and venues. The second is Joseph Massey Flowers, his full-service wedding and event business. And the third is the UK School of Floristry. You'll learn more from Joseph about how he developed the studio to encompass art, flowers, and education. And you'll find links to all his platforms at today's show notes. I'm sincerely honored to share this conversation with you. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so delighted to introduce Joseph Massey, my guest today. Hi, Joseph. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for saying I could turn on the recorder and grab you here. Yeah, I'm super excited. And, it was a pleasure. And we are here on Whidbey Island in the Pacific Northwest, and you've gotten to be by the ocean and see the mountains, and you're having a good time so I, far. I, I am indeed surrounded by killer whales and <laughs> I wasn't gonna bring that up. <laughs> beautiful mountains and everything. Um, but no, it's incredible. It's my first time here to to Seattle and especially to Whitby Island. Um, and I've been here just for a couple of days, but it's just, it's a pleasure to be here. Like I woke up this morning just feeling so grateful, just even looking around at like where we are. It's incredible. Well, we're here to talk about your journey and going around the world teaching is one of the things in your business, but can you mm-hmm. kind of give us a snapshot of Joseph Massey Studios and what what your business is today, and then we'll back up and talk about how you got there. Yeah, of course. So my business is uh, Joseph Massey Studios. We are just over three years in. Um, You can tell by the eye bags, which everyone can't (laughs) see, but are here for sure. Um, And so our business is basically threefold. So we have, um, I like to think of it almost as like a bit of a pyramid. At the very top, we have like the arty, cool um, installations and like floral couture and like sculptural pieces, which like make my heart beat really fast. And I... Those commissions that you kind of yearn Yes, exactly. So like right after I leave here, I'm heading to like to Boston to do like an installation there at the Museum of Fine Art. And that's what makes my, that's kind of the focus of the business. Mm. That's the 100% undiluted, raw, kind of like Joseph Massey in quotation marks, Mm -hmm. which I love. Um, And then we also have a flower studio called Joseph Massey Flowers, where we do beautiful weddings and events. I realize I say that about my own work, but I like you, to think... But you also say we, so you're sharing the, sharing the, the town, Sharing the, the ego, yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, <laughs> Unless it's the royal we. No, it's not the royal way. We've done some things for the royal family, but it's not the royal way. Wait, wait, say that again? <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Um, so it's, yeah. it's a wedding and events, full service wedding and events studio. Absolutely, you yes, You so. rent linens and you rent... Linens, crockery, yeah. chairs. Uh, we don't, I'm a firm believer in only doing things that you're very good at. So we don't handle entertainment or uh, catering or planning or mm. any of the stuff mm-hmm. that just makes my eyes glaze over. Um, Light, lights and sound and no, all no, that. No, yeah. no, 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 that. So we just focus on like decor, which is yeah. what we enjoy. And that's that's pretty good. We are about three years in. We're doing about 75 weddings this year. Wow. Um, about 75% of those are in the northwest of the UK. So that's in Manchester, in Cheshire, and in Liverpool. Um, and then we also do about 25% of our work is kind of like nationwide so that's more near London like I say nationwide but it's mostly London mm-hmm. um, requiring can, three to four hours of travel that sort of thing absolutely okay. which to me is like a whole world away but mm-hmm. when you're maybe in America it's not that far but that's where know. that's where the money is too right in it some is cases? it is well Manchester is a really uh, lovely city it's about it's the UK's second biggest city has a population of like two and a half 2.75 million people it's um, amazing yeah so it's pretty big it's pretty big so it keeps us on our toes for sure um, there's, and a, also, there's a population density there that the, can... there is for sure okay. and it's also surrounded by a couple of really wealthy counties so Cheshire which is a super wealthy county is just to the south of Manchester and we that's where a lot of our kind of more celebrity or like sporting kind of like celebrity clients mm-hmm. live mm-hmm. Um, so it's a great place to be and then London is obviously it's the world's most, one of the world's most economically important cities um, so that that's really handy for most of our kind of art things interestingly enough the hits on our website and my Instagram um, analytics tell me for sure that London is our biggest market which is really weird considering mm. like I'm there only like a handful well, not a handful of time maybe like <laughs> 
five, ten times a year, maybe. Right. Um, so, like, once a month-ish. But it's interesting that Manchester isn't our biggest market, which is right. really interesting. Well, or that people in Manchester aren't on Instagram. I mean, it might be your bigger, like, revenue market, but not your popularity market Absolutely. or something. Absolutely. Or they just don't, the people of Manchester just don't know what's good for them. So, yeah. you know, I'm joking. <laughs> They're not going to hear uh, this. No, exactly. It's okay, fine. and then the third branch of yeah, the we, studio. Yeah, we have our school, which keeps, which is called the UK School of Floristry, which we took over three years ago. So we... Uh, we're very lucky to have about 450 students come to our school every year to wow. do a huge range of classes from beginners classes um, through to like professional master classes. So we do a little bit of everything. Um, and I like to see it very much as like the art and kind of like the DNA of what we do is very much based around the art side of the business. And then it's diluted a little bit in for the weddings and events. So you still get my kind of style and flair, but it's not as crazy as in your face, maybe. Um, <laughs> it's a bit more pretty. So your mom will like it. Right. And then I mean, you adapt to the client probably. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then we have the school, which is, um, we have, obviously I teach master classes myself, but we also teach a lot of um, introductory classes or kind of like professional classes as well. Right. I spent a lot of time on the website and it looked like you could take um, kind of an exploring professional floristry class all the way up to like intensive on mm-hmm. doing weddings and events. Mm-hmm. I mean, the whole spectrum. Of course. And where I would say that uh, the most popular classes that we do are the introductory classes. Okay. And um, we're really lucky, I think, being the biggest flower school in the Northwest. And I think maybe one of the biz- biggest or busiest outside of London. I'm not sure. Wait, you um, said you took it over. Was it ex- in existence? It was in existence. Okay. So it was started by our florist called Ian Lloyd, who is still a really good friend of mine. And he ran it for about seven years. Um, and then I think he was just going through some changes in his business and he wanted to like try some new things. Um, and this, the opportunity came up just at the right time when I was currently, I was in between jobs. I'd just come back from New York and I was, hadn't started my business yet because I wasn't really sure what direction I wanted to go mm-hmm. in. Um, so it came up at just the right time. He was, I was teaching there one day as a, as a tutor and he at the end of, end of the day was like, so do you want to buy it? And I was like, <laughs> um, I don't know. I didn't have any money. We had to figure out a deal and all the rest of it, but it came really good. So it needed a lot of love and I'm sure he wouldn't mind me saying that it needed a lot of like attention and money putting into sure. it. And, and, that, and that your own fine. take your own twist on it. Of course. Yeah. It needed, it needed some love. So, so that you said you, um, that happened in 2015. Yes, it did. And, but also when I, visit Joseph Massey Art and Joseph Massey Flowers, they both say established in 2015 mm-hmm. on your website. So mm-hmm. is that kind of when all this branding knit for together? Sure. Okay. Yeah, for sure. So basically I started, I came back from uh, working in New York. I worked there in 2000 and like 12, I think. Yeah, 2012. Came back right at the beginning of 2013. And then I really wasn't sure what to do. I didn't have any money and I was a bit... Um, I didn't know what I wanted, Mm. like, to be very honest Mm -hmm. with you. I was, like, 25, and I had done all my competitions, and I knew that I didn't want to compete anymore, and I wasn't sure, should I move to London? And, like, I like doing weddings and events, but I don't just want to do weddings and events because I'll end up killing myself. And then, you know, I I like teaching, but I don't just want to teach. And I spent a, a good year and a half, I think. Well, yeah, it was a good year and a half kind of debating and looking at different models, and do I, you know take get some funding do I take on a loan or something do I move to London and in the end I just decided you know what the upp- the opportunity was there to do something a little bit differently and I thought you know what I'm going to start in my hometown of Liverpool without a loan and I think we had like a thousand pounds when we started and I was like we're going to make this work and now we have like a nice business and um, a really great team and I, like I love what I do I think that is fundamental in life I think life is too short to spend your time um, doing things that you don't enjoy. And I, I love it. Like, we're just over three years old. Um, and we decided to kind of um, hedge our bets a little and do kind of, you know, the school and the flower studio and the art kind of thing and just kind of see what happened. And over the past three years, I've definitely done less art projects than I wanted to, simply because the school and the studio have... Needed more attention. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. It takes a lot of time. But now we're in our third year. Like, I'm over here in Seattle. I'm heading to Boston. I was in New York last month. Later this year, I'm in Tennessee, I'm in Atlanta, I'm in China, I'm in France. Like, there's a lot of nice kind of projects, like, happening. Um, and and are, th- are those all very art-driven? They are, okay. yes. And I think that I'm, we're now in a position where I can start to step back more into the art side of things because we have a good, solid business that I'm not worried is going to, like die you know because it's so new you don't have you to know prop I mean? up every wedding yeah you can let someone else do it absolutely yeah. which feels a lot better do you feel like um part of part of staying in liverpool and also manchester is like you had to 
be deeply aware of who you are and the fact that that's your those are your roots and there's something really special about being kind of honoring those roots mm. or like or uh, well, why didn't you pick a different city well i didn't pick a different city because i was living at home and we didn't really have it, it's it was financial it was financial yeah. i was like well i'm living at home we don't have a lot of money i just spent a lot of money in new york on a project that didn't work out and i was like okay well where are we gonna go from mm. here um you reinvented yourself yeah well basically, or you invented yourself oh uh, <laughs> now you know you're making me blush but no i mean um, i think it's like you claimed it yeah well I think it was just about kind of you know I'd done like this sounds very arrogant and I mean it like in like good favor but Mm. um like we'd done I'd done a lot already it was just finding a time to cut well it was it was how to put all my history and everything that I'd done into a a viable business right um that was what it was because before then like every Chelsea medal I won I was working for someone else okay so let's let's talk about that because you have all these um accolades I'm that very been, famous. Yes, and the, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking, everyone. I love it. I'm not. I'm if not a people had just known worry. that he's been like working on hardware and scaffolding, right? <laughs> you're not. You're not too. You're not too famous to to carry tools around. No, not at all. No, I mean, as long as the tools are diamond encrusted, then that's, <laughs> I'm joking. My husband is Louis Vuitton. No, um, yeah, so I've lived, yeah, I've just come off a scaffold, but it's all good. Yeah. So, so, so the, this sort of. Um, Awards and all, I didn't realize that the Chelsea Golds, which mm-hmm. you've won five, mm-hmm. but you've had other awards at Chelsea as well, right? Yes, yeah, best insurance, yeah. And then these, these, your best young florist of the UK mm-hmm. or something like, I mean, there's, uh, we'll make the list. There's because, like a ton of them. Yeah. yeah. So those, a lot of those happened while you were um, employed by other people. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, so my I, goodness. I won my first national when I was 19 years old and I was always, I was always self-driven. Like my employers never um like pushed me to do them like they I fund self-funded nearly all of them I got I had some great sponsorship of mm-hmm. um certain growers and things um but I was all mo- entirely mostly self-funded all of them mm-hmm. um but I was working for other people at mm. the time so mm-hmm. in some ways I should have kind of like not done the competitions and like held them back for when I was working mm-hmm. in my own business mm-hmm. but you might like, still do something I might still do it at yeah. some point in the future but for me like the competing thing or in, uh, competing in floral design anyway is something that um I I loved for a time but um yeah now I have other goals yeah with the competitions you're very much like dancing to someone else's tune you're given Mm -hmm. like a brief you're told you must make this it must be this big you know and it just got to the point where I'd done it for so long where I was like oh I just want to make my own thing like I don't want to have to make follow that that those constraints yeah I'd done that for a long time and like a competition work I think in general um it's so easy like they tell you everything you need to do you just need to read the brief and then you deliver what they want and that's fine and a lot of great opportunities came to me through the competitions um, but going forward, I was much more interested in like creating my own vocabulary for what I want to mm-hmm. do. That's, and I think that's what, that was super important to me. It's helpful for me to hear that because I think it applies to so many, the paths of so many people in our industry mm. where, um, it's safer in a way to work for someone else. It's riskier to work for yourself. Oh, for sure. So there's, there's, at what point does this happen? Sometimes the universe does it for you. It sounds mm-hmm. like that's what happened for you. Like yeah. you kind of. Well, it was needs must, I think. I mean, it was a case of um, when I came back from New York and I was like, what am I going to do? And I didn't jump into something right away because I wasn't really sure. And I think that um, I certainly felt a pressure because I had like a name and like, mm-hmm. you know, all these awards. And Like, what's he going to do next? Yeah, I didn't want it to go tits up either. Like, you know, I was like, it has to work. Like, it has to be right. You're like the um, famous first novelist who has like a blockbuster, but then can't. Figure out what the next step is. Oh my God, what do I do? But you've overcame that. Yeah, so you have to start small. I'm a firm believer in just kind of like this, um, what's the quote? There's like a great magic in beginning. I can't remember who who said that, but it's Mm. very true, I think. Mm. And sometimes there is a boldness and a a magic in just kind of saying, okay, this is what we're going to start out. And of course, it's scary when you start any new business. And you're thinking about what people are going to think. And you're thinking about, you know, am I doing it right? And chances are there's like, you know, a lot of ways you can improve, but... Um, but starting is part of it yeah for yeah. sure and yeah. I think that in life I think it's it's all about being brave and putting yourself out there and just trying to do your best 
So your origin story is that you started working in flowers at age 14 or yes, so, correct? Yes, yes. Well, did you like old. did you live in the in like a garden setting uh, no. or a farm setting before that? No, I wish. I lived in like impoverished East Liverpool um, in a town called Highton, which is not that lovely. The Highton Tourist Board won't thank me for that, but I don't think there is a tourist board. <laughs> Let's so say it's you to be okay. their spokesman. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that's gonna happen. Um, so yeah, so I basically wanted a, like a weekend job. Like a Saturday job. I didn't care what it was. I had no interest in floristry. Um, you just needed to I, make your own money. Yeah, basically, I was like, I just want like a little bit of cash in my pocket. So I went around like everywhere, like the clothes shops, the supermarkets, um, the butchers, like everywhere. And everywhere was like, no, you're too young. I think back then you had to be like 15 or 16 maybe to have a job, yeah. I think. And yeah. it's similar here, right? I, I think, think you have to can get a work permit at 15 and a half. Right. It's kind of similar, yeah. similar yeah. to back home. And so I was too young and everywhere was like, no, no, no. And I like to stay at the only place that was unprofessional enough was the local flower shop. And they were like, <laughs> we'll take you child labor. Um, and I was down for that. So, Wait, what did they pay you? Uh, they paid me £2.50 an hour, which I felt that's like, what, like maybe $3.50 right. an hour, right. which they they obviously had like the best deal ever. But I thought I was Rockefeller like I was like I'm so rich right now like um I it love was so it funny yeah it was wow great. so like eight hours a week kind of 20 weekend? pounds yeah. okay like, and, that was what it was. and uh how how does the universe bring you to that job and look where it took you yeah I, I I'm a big that. believer in like uh, there's a bigger plan at hand like I, I definitely don't believe it's all like cold and lonely and it's all about free will like that's not my kind of story like I have to believe that there is more to life than just oh I just stumbled into that shop on that particular day when that woman that was owning it said oh hey I you know yeah. I'm, I yeah. you were lucky or something. yeah exactly yeah. like my life it's is more so, than luck my, yeah my life is so much bigger than just yeah. a little bit of luck um and it was great. And I, for the first six months, all I did was clean buckets. It was so unglamorous. And then one of the florists left and I, I was, they started to teach me how to make bouquets. Um, and I really enjoyed that. I was like, okay, this is really cool. And then I started to get like kind of into it a bit more. Um, yeah. And I think I look back then and think, oh my God, like I was so insane. Cause I was, I was quite like, relatively academic at school. So I was always pushed towards like, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be whatever. Mm-hmm. And so when I came in and, um, we have to pick like our, like academic options when you're like 15, 16, I think in school. Um, and when I said, Oh, I, I want to be a florist. Like I don't really need to do any, like my teachers were like, no, this is not what's going to happen. So they called in my mom and they had like a big, like, conference with her about what's going to happen my mom was super supportive she was like um you know if it makes you happy if it's what you want to do then that's what you should do that and all the rest is of awesome. it it is that's I mean, what every I, parent needs to do for sure absolutely yeah. life is too short i think to do stuff that you hate you right. know um i did catch her like a week later discussing it with the next door neighbor and i heard her say like so he was like so i heard joe's gonna be a florist and then my mom was like i hope he changed his mind like which i think any good parent should be like <laughs> yes follow your dreams but please, God, I hope it works out. Like, you, you know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And she, so that was so did great. you decide to, did you, did the, you know, did the high school or secondary school, I guess you called I did. So I did secondary did, school. Did they, did they try to push you into like art classes? Uh, yeah, no, they didn't. So they tried to push me towards, they said, okay, so we can work out a deal where you study like business or you study um, medicine or accounting. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Um, <laughs> like four and a half days a week. And then on the, like on a Thursday afternoon, you can go and study floristry. And I was like, oh no, I was like, you've got this wrong. Like it needs to be the other way around. Yeah. Like it needs to be four and a half days floristry and like a uh, half a day, like business or something. Um, but I, they were like, oh, okay. And in the end, like it, there's nothing they could do about it because it was my decision. So that was fine. Like, you know, live and die by the sword and all the rest of it. Uh, <laughs> and I, but I still did really well. Like I, I got the highest scores and well, the second highest scores in my school um, for like, for the results and stuff. So I still did everything I needed yeah, to do. Yeah, you didn't like, drop out. No, like I still did really, really well like I got like I can't even remember what it was but I think I got like at like 13 a stars or something like I did really 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 well that's just um, the kind of person you were you're just you're just finish a task yeah absolutely and it was like I found school very easy at the time like it was it, once again they, they just told you what the, you needed to do and you just did the work and then it was fine like it was I, I, I 
I enjoyed it. I yeah. mean, it was quite cool. So school, so, yeah. how old were you when school ended and you actually worked full time? Oh, okay. So I was floristry. 16 when I finished secondary school and then I went to study floristry when I was 16. So that it was at a green college or like a landscape college. Mm-hmm. Um, in the UK, we have five years of floristry education, levels one through to five. Um, I know you're shaking your head like, we don't have that here. No. I know you don't. It's brilliant. Um, this it's is why you're cool. so well set up to run a school. Like, you know what what it's like yeah to... i've been through like the system and right like, i know it's it's very good it is a great educational system but it can it also needs in my opinion uh a bit of a rethink because it could be a lot more commercial and mm. a bit more up to date there's mm. a lot of historical references in there there's a lot of work that is not commercial and we have a lot of students who have gone through this process and still require like some practical skills to kind of like bump them to up. actually get a job yeah, yeah i think so so i mean it is a great system but i think there's definitely room for improvement okay. so i did my level one and my level two and then I went to study my level three and there wasn't enough subscription to run the course and at that point I was like 17 and they said oh we can do it like as an evening class and you'll finish by the time you're 20 and I was like what by the time I'm like how old really old I'll be wrinkled and no (laughs) um so I decided to leave uh after my level two and I went to work full time in a local flower shop in Liverpool. Um, and that was where I, like, I just decided that was good for practical skills to kind of like, you know, like get my speed up and get more confident working with flowers. Um, and it was there that I first read about a floristry competition. And then I got into those. Hmm. So, yeah. So, yeah. so maybe that was your way of kind of pushing yourself, uh, the way a school setting might've pushed you. Yeah. You had to, you had to, Put yourself out there and 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 uh, I, I guess chase those things or at least put yourself into the competition. For sure, world. like I never wanted an average life. Like I never wanted a boring life that I would wake up when I was like forty and be like, I hate what I've done. <laughs> like I want to live, and I still live my, my life to that day now. If it's not interesting, if it's not exciting, if there isn't like a little spark in it, that I'm fully one hundred percent not interested. Wow. Like let someone else do that stuff that's fine by me um and it means that yes I come across as like precocious and yes maybe I realize that I have probably not pursued some opportunities that might have been good for me at the time but I'm a big believer in following your gut and doing what feels right for you in the minute and um yeah and like I remember when I left school that my IT teacher Mrs. Stranick I was quite good at IT you, you wouldn't tell now but I was at the time and um she was like you could be like an IT technician like you could write software you could earn like like 75,000 pounds a year and she was like you know Florence they earn minimum wage and you don't know what you're doing and I was like I remember saying to her at the time I will not be earning minimum wage right. I was like you've got me you just don't know me if you think that's right. the like I was always going to do something and I think my, my biggest strength to this day is definitely like um, it's just I have like a super positive outlook I'm very enthusiastic and when I'm in something I'm like in it like I want to do the very best I can hmm. um, and I try and do that across everything that I do I don't always get there but I try well, you, you're. I just want to hear the story about that first competition at age nineteen. Would that was the was that the one that? Sure, that was the young florist of the year. Okay, um, like you just thought. Well, I have nothing to lose. I might as well yes, enter it. Sure. So I ended it, first of all, when I was 17. Okay. And I totally didn't know what I was doing. But I ended it, and I ended up coming fifth place. And I thought, well, I've only got, like, a little bit of experience. Um so that's impressive yeah fifth place is yeah. Yeah, pretty good so I thought to myself you know what with a bit more training I could do really well so I wrote myself a training plan all the money I would earn in the flower shop I would pay to go on courses and like travel to like you know and learn enough different florists and stuff and then I came back two years later and I won it and I felt very vindicated and mm. from that I got able access to do the European Young Florist of the Year and that was a very similar story I went into that thinking I am the savior of this competition. I am going to change the lives of everyone I come across. And um, I finished like ninth place or something. Like it was so tragic. But I think that whenever you like up a level in like your business or in a competition or in like a new market or whatever you're trying to do, um, I think there is always like, you know, there's a learning curve there. You you know, you get some things right. You don't get some things right. You adjust it. You kind of move forward as you go. You accept Um, that maybe there's a little bit more you have have to do to get to that for sure level. and yeah. one thing that I know like I am not a I'm not a quick learner I'm not someone who instantly adapts very quickly to very new things I am the type of person and I know this for sure that I do it once and it's kind of like meh and then I do it again and it's like ah oh. and then I do it a third time and it's great and then I can do it again and again and I will I will work and I will put in the effort until it's 100% like 
great. And that, 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 that's my personality. And yeah. I think it, through your life, you learn strengths and you learn weaknesses. And I'm, I'm not a quick learner. So, well, you, you, know. you could fool me. I mean, that's, that's, but that's a great, a great story to just get, I mean, I think some people are just fearful of even trying the fear wasn't the, the confidence wasn't the issue for you. It was just like going through the process and then what did you learn from that so you can go through the process better the next yeah, time? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Like, when I did the Europeans, I came, like, ninth place. And then two years later, I came back and came second by, like, 0.1 mark. Like, I was nearly the winner of oh, it. Oh, for goodness sake! Yeah, exactly. Come that on. took some therapy. I was, like, a second. I was, like, not joint first? You're going to let that hun- Hungarian guy win? Like, come on! Get the calculator out. Let's add this up Yeah, again. exactly. They were, like, oh, you came second. I was, like, by how much? They were, like, 0.1. I was, like, I'm not speaking to you. Like, Forget this is it. Yeah, exactly. You didn't go back and do it again, did you? No, of course not. I was like well you obviously don't recognize quality right no Hello. <laughs> can you imagine yeah. but no I didn't do it again um, yeah, at some point you have to just yeah. go okay no, what's next exactly yeah. yes and I felt that very much with competitions I did my last one when I was 25 and I, I achieved everything that I wanted to in the in that kind of arena um, I didn't want to do anymore I was getting a little bored of it um, I was sick sick of doing like stuff random things that people wanted me to make instead of uh-huh. doing my own kind of thing but it did open a lot of doors for me uh-huh. it did a, a, you know Gave commissions you started to come in, gave me a profile, a reputation, allowed me to start to teach. Um, so yeah. yeah, it was great. Yeah. But. So how do you, when you talked about like not loving to have to follow the brief that other people gave you, mm. if you, if you design whatever you wanted, mm. what would your aesthetic, how would you, how do you describe your aesthetic? Oh, it's really sexy. Okay. No, um, so I kind of think that there's three principles that like I really kind of look to put into anything that I do. The first one is that it should be contemporary. I like, I don't want to spend my life recreating like constant spry arrangements. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spend my life reusing techniques that have been done for the past like hundred years. I don't want to make my work look like someone else's work mm. because I, I'm just not into it. Trends change and I think that you owe it to yourself to offer a true expression of who you are to the world and not to say oh the real trend right now let's follow that or let's mm-hmm. do that like I'm bored I don't want to see another gardening compote ever again and then I move on to <laughs> I'm afraid of you now <laughs> no no I'm sorry no but it's just like that's that's how I feel about yeah, it so let's yeah. just call a spade a spade yeah, yeah. no this is good um, so then, does that mean that your aesthetic the way you describe it today is going to be of this moment and then if I ask you that question again in two years you'll have a different answer well I maybe I think so like I would like to say that it should be contemporary and it should be modern and I mean maybe that will change maybe yeah. when I get to like 40 or like 50 or whatever or even 35 I'd be like, oh, I just like like making like pretty bouquets. Like maybe that might completely okay. change. I okay. don't know. But right now you're, but you're right really now I want to be super the, contemporary yeah. and super clean and super fresh. Like I love, um, I just like things that are new. Like I love this this amazing thing where uh, when Alexander McQueen, who's a huge hero of mine, uh, when he was creating his last collection, like Plato's Atlantis, he said like apparently you don't know how true this is, but he was like turn around every mood board, turn around every reference flip all the pictures the other way onto the wall. I don't want to see anything I've done before. I don't want to reference any other picture. I don't want to see anyone's Instagram feed. I just want to start new. And I think that is so inspiring. Oh, that's to, great. Isn't that incredible yeah. to be like, I just want to create something that is true and fresh and very me. Um, and then I definitely think my work is, it's usually quite luxurious in the sense that um, I, li- I like expensive things and I like more well, usual things yeah. and I like things that are a little bit fancy. Um, so, uh, are we okay for time? Yeah, yeah we're okay, fine. Good. Yeah, so, no. Um, I realize I rambled, I'm sorry. No, I love it. Um, but when you say you're talking about like the flowers you work with or just everything, textiles? Well, it, can, it can be textile, textiles. it can be materials, yeah. it can sometimes just be like uh, the vase something is in, but I like that element of it. And then finally, I think that everything should have like a little bit of soul, like a little bit of poetry. And that's mm. that maybe flies in the face of things being luxurious, but like it can be a little bit of, it should just have like an element to it that makes that touches someone because I think that all of my work is mostly about connection Mm. because I think that we don't go through this life alone. And I think that if you're making art or you're making a vase of flowers or you're teaching your class, whatever kind of, whatever kind of route that your kind of expression touches someone in, it should, it should affect people. That's the authentic part. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Because what are you doing it for otherwise? Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, obviously you want to be commercially successful, but but you want to have a soul at the end of it. So using the soul is good. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. A hundred, hundred, hundred percent. Well, um, 
we we're going to have a great time tomorrow learning from you and you're going to teach about 15 students at this Whidbey flower workshop um various large scale Mm -hmm. foam free Mm -hmm. event installations right that's very true right and so how do you how do you find the new in that because some of this is mechanic based right it is so for me every experience starts or every like class such as like what we're doing here we start with um, okay, what are the principles and honesty we want to get across? And here, everything is local. So nothing is sourced further than, I think, California, mm-hmm. um, Toby said. Um, so everything is pretty local. Everything is fresh. We're not using foam. And we're kind of looking at this from two different aspects. The first is that it should be commercial. It should be pieces that people can recreate for their own businesses, that they can scale up or scale down according to their market. Um, but at the same time as well, it should also be something that... Um, there should be like a little bit of art in it. So if you want to do something a bit different, something that catches people's attention, and that's what we've really tried to find a balance in with the pieces. Um, that's I'm brilliant. S- well, that's what we're trying to do. I yeah. don't know. I'll let you know if it happens. I hope it will. Well, I'll be watching. <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. But you're basically trying to be mindful of the fact that people have to make a living and what they're selling has to be profitable, mm-hmm. but they can also have the art and their own personal perspective or or voice in that yeah uh, for as sure well. for You're sure just... no one wants to just be like a drone making like blush and paint and white weddings and just or copying blushing. what's on pinterest yeah of yeah. course because like how that's not going to fulfill you like you're just going to treat it like any other job mm-hmm. you know coming to be a, like oh it's God. a widget yeah. yeah exactly like it's just a meh here we go again and like don't get me wrong we do our fair share of like blush and hydrangea and like <laughs> ivory weddings of course we do we need to make money you know yeah um, you try to balance that with the the art commission of course yeah. yeah for sure and like even like I think that weddings are slightly different because you're or you're taking the shots from someone else. Someone saying, this is my style. This is what I like. This is what I want to do. It's a design service at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And I see. That's what you're providing, in my opinion. Okay. Um, that's a really good way of differentiating it. So yeah, you're not feeling... To. You're not Frustrated. feeling like... Frustrated. Oh, is that it? I was going to say, like, you're selling out or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or, like, just kind of like, oh, my God, here we go. So um, that's the way I kind of see it. So the art side of things is, like, like in Boston next week, I'm going to, like, do whatever I want. What and, are you going to do? Uh, so we have an installation. I'm at the Museum of Fine Art for their Art in Bloom. So That's we're doing awesome. like a big installation in their rotunda, which is um, all using pear branch and sculptural and like sexy. And I'm really excited for that. And then we've got some classes and like a big lecture and stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's going to be good fun. so great. It's going to be great. Um, so we've touched on a little bit about sourcing locally for this workshop. Yes. And of course, that's what I'm all about is trying to advocate for. What is your practice and how how do you balance all of that sure. with, a, you know, the seasons in the UK mm-hmm. like you don't have local farms that are providing to you in the winter probably. no we don't I mean we have two local farms that we work with um, which are based in the northwest of England and they send us lists out. like I just got my list earlier today I was showing it to Toby they send a list out every week of hey this is what we have available you know at the minute it's all like anemones um, early ranunculus pussy willow or narcissi like hellebore there's a few bits and pieces on there mm-hmm. um but it is a challenge because we're based in the northwest of the UK. It's not a particularly sunny place to live. Um, and a lot of the British kind of local grown or locally sourced flowers are based in London. And they do ship, like people like Prattleys and things, mm-hmm. they ship out in, uh, nationally. Um, but there just isn't that much choice. I was wondering about that, even with the list you just described. Like if you had a big event even the quantities probably no, would be a challenge. it's not going to work. Like, yeah. I mean, I, for, and for example, like the, we work with two farms, the farm that I work mostly with, I was speaking to them just the other week and I said, oh, uh, for this, uh, I think it's late August, I'm going to need approximately like 200, 300 cafe au lait. And she's like, oh, I don't know. Like we've had a crappy spring. I'm not sure like how that's going to affect things. Whereas I know that I would go to my Dutch supplier like three days before, they'll be like, yeah, that's no problem. Yeah. So there's that balance. Such a of, challenge. It is a challenge. And like, I try to buy British. I mean, don't get me wrong. The, for example, the daily that come in from my local grower are fantastic and their heads are huge and they've come from like, you know, an hour away. Whereas the ones from Holland have come, okay, maybe, you know, it's not the ends of the world, right. but it's still a distance they're away. They're flying, right? They're flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, they're being driven in. So oh, they're, tr- yeah, okay. they get trucked over. Um, or something they come on the ferry and then driven. Right, right, but right. they're like, they're packed and they're not as big and then it was nice. A little crushed. Yeah, for sure. So, but it's that kind of balance. I mean, I run a commercial business. We have like six employees and we handle, um, you know, a good amount of turnover and I need to be practical. I'm right. a pragmatist of nothing else. Do you have so. um, 
couples or brides and grooms coming to you asking for British brown? We do indeed. And I'm always, uh, I always react positively to it. I'm always like, yeah, sure. We can certainly do that. However, there are limitations. Yeah. Let me tell you what you can work with. Yeah. I have to be responsible. I can't be like, yeah, you can have, oh, you're getting married when? February? (laughs) We can get you sunflowers and delphinium. No, because you can't do it. And I wish that you kind of could, but you can't. So you have to be practical yeah. and you have to obviously respect respect the client's wishes and say I will certainly do our best you know at this time of year this is available at this time of year we'll be able to get that but there are challenges mm-hmm. with that and I'm all for supporting the local business and other local the you know the British flower industry um but there are challenges yeah. I think especially but, at your scale yeah yeah. Yeah. So you Pretty had to- you had told me before we turned the recorder on that your um, school is co-located with a wholesaler. It is indeed. So is that where a lot how you're getting a lot of your products? It is indeed. So okay. we operate a four thousand square foot uh, business, and we share a twelve thousand square foot warehouse with a flower wholesaler. So they occupy about two thirds of it and we have around about a third of it. Um, That's what a perfect situation. It's great. And it works really, we never run out of anything (laughs) and we run out of things quite a lot because we get so used to being like, Oh, it's right there. We'll just grab it. Like it's a dream come true. Um, And it's really beneficial for our students as well because they get to see, you know, the inside of a flower wholesaler, what the flowers come in, like what quantities they buy it in, how they're processed. So they get a huge benefit from from, Mm. a benefit from that too. Um, so yeah, it's a really great, it's a really, yeah, it's great. I'm very, very lucky. So it sounds like you're, you're sourcing through that wholesaler. You're also probably doing special order, custom order, but then you're also able to buy direct from British farms and then do you buy direct from Holland? Uh, we do buy direct from Holland as well. So I mean, everybody wants to sell to you, I'm sure. Well, yeah. I mean, I've never had anyone turn me down. No, no. They want your money. Yeah, of course. I mean, and in Ho- the great thing about Holland is that it's so well oiled. Yeah. You can, so up until 10 a.m., maybe even 10.30 on a morning, I can order pretty much anything and it will be in my studio by 5 a.m. the next morning, less than 24 hours. That is a slick system. It is. Everything is convenient. Everything is refrigerated. Everything is quality controlled. Um, it is a it is an amazing system. Yeah. But you don't always get the best results that way. Right. Right. It's, I mean, everything's a compromise, but the decision-making that you have to take into account is, uh, thank God you have multiple sources. And, yeah, we have to. And all, even those emergency sources. I wouldn't be able to run my business if I didn't. Yeah. For example, like this week, we have like 10 students joining us on our starting out in business course. If I was trying to run that course and show them like classical masked funeral work or I don't know, um, like wired shower bouquets, yes, it would be possible with all local grown flowers. But throughout the whole week, they would have a couple of tulips, some hellebore, maybe some muscari. Like yeah. there wouldn't be the diversification yeah. to be able to do it. And there would be some items that I wouldn't be able to teach because it's just not grown now. Right. So it's a real hard balance between. Yeah. I'm yeah. all for supporting British and all for buying British and sourcing local blooms. Um, but I have to temper that with the fact that I have six staff. I have a VAT bill. I have a tax bill. I'm well on the way to being a seven-figure business in hopefully by the end, well, definitely by the end of the year. Oh, well, wonderful. That's yeah. Great. Like we're very, oh God, that sounds so arrogant to say, but we're pretty successful and you have to temper that. I can't, like, if I wouldn't be where we are three years in, if I was like, oh, this week I've got narcissi to give you. Like, I wouldn't be able to do it. Right. So, no, I have no criticism ugh, of that. I mean, hard. I'm, I'm constantly, when I try to, you know, I feel like I've also evolved in my stridency and, you mm. know, believing at when I first started writing about this topic, like it was, I, first of all, I wanted to define the industry as organic and local. Oh my gosh. And it's just virtually not possible mm. because unless you're growing it yourself, mm. you have you can't control that supply because no. it's hard to find. And who knows what the industry will be like in like 20 years or like 50 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's such a big trend right now for, you know, to know the provenance of food and the provenance of clothing and flowers kind of fit into that mm-hmm. lifestyle of being a responsible purchaser, right. a responsible consumer, you know, not consuming more than you need and really supporting the businesses and the people. I would much rather the money I spend go to a local British business rather than to a faceless conglomerate. Right. Obviously, right. that's what I would prefer. But you have to be practical for yeah. sure in, yeah. in what we do. And um, it's a balance. It mm. is an absolute balance. And you, who knows what will happen to the industry in 10, you know, 20 years time. But well, we'll you're going to be the king of that industry because you're so young. You started mm. so young. You'll still be 
you know, in 10 years, you're just not even going to be 50 yet. Right? I know, but my eye bags will be beautiful. <laughs> I'm just turned 30 like two months ago. Oh my God, you're so young. I know, but I I've been doing it. it for like thousands of years. Yes. So it feels like I say that to my students all the time. I'm always like, they're like, oh my God, you make it look so easy. I'm like, yes, but I've been doing this for literally thousands of years. Like that this is, is not my first hand tie. So like, funny. That yeah. is so true. I yeah, love so it. True, so. I know sometimes when I have some amazing writing gig and, and some kind of... I, obnoxious person will say how'd you get that gig and I'm like I don't know busted my ass for the last 15 years or 20 <laughs> yeah, for years sure, for sure. it didn't happen overnight and exactly that's, you know and I realized like I'm super lucky like we're sitting here in like you know this amazing location um you know on Whitby Island and you know like I, I look at my life and I'm like oh my god like this is insane what a yeah but what, what a blessing a pri- but what a, yeah it is a privilege it is a, it's a privilege that's exactly a, the word but you're not a, um taking it for granted no I like I pinch myself every morning like this morning I woke up I walked out onto the balcony of the hotel and I was like I could see like the ocean and I could see the mountains and I was just like who gets to live a life like this and I always have this thing of like trying to be as grateful as possible because you just never know like when I when, and I always get this whenever I leave. This is so weird. I can't believe I'm sharing this. But whenever I leave a hotel room, I'm always like, "Will this be the last time I'm ever here in this life? Or is this the only time in my life we're going to be sitting under this lamp at this table and I may never be here again? Right? You know, we could die tomorrow. Right? And you have to. I think you just have to be grateful as for as possible. I think it's a it's a very good healthy place to be in. So, did you want to take a photo of yourself on that balcony and text it to your old IT teacher from school <laughs> and say, "I'm making a little bit more than minimum wage, honey." I'm making a little bit more than you were. No, I'm joking. <laughs> oh, um, gotta love those teachers. <laughs> yeah, no, and I, I have no problem talking about money. Like, I earn a six figure salary. We are a, a very, I like to think, a very successful business. For uh, you know, three years in, we have a team of six. We handle a big amount of work, and You're I love feed, every yeah. minute of it. You're like, feeding a lot of mouths. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's definitely a responsibility, for, a responsibility for that. Of that, for sure. Um, but for me. For me, it's all about the direction you want to take the business. And mm-hmm. I think that's the best thing about being a business owner is you can find the path that is right for you. Not everyone wants to have a team of six. And like there'll be bit people out here listening to this who've got a team of 50 and, you know, all that kind of stuff and turn over like 20 million. But at the same time, like, I think you have to, um, I think you have to be finding the path that's right for you. Yep. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm on this year, we'll sh- we should hit a million pounds worth in sales. And there'll be people out there that that is just like the dream of what they want to do. And there'll be people out there who are like turning over 50 million. They're right. like, that's nothing. Your right. first million, you know, right. but I think it depends on the path that you're on and what you want. Yeah. And that is the, best thing I think and we say this to our students all the time about you can the, you can create the business that you want if you want it to be like your side hustle that you do you know when the kids are like at school or whatever do that and if you want like this huge studio do that and if you want a farm do that like the great thing is that you have control a little bit over like the intention that you want to put out right, there right. so um, pursue that's, it that's inspiring well I don't think so I just think that you can I think that people in life can do whatever they really want to. I just think you just have to find a way. And not everything happens as quick as you like it. But I'm the world's most least patient person. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you have to just kind of uh, persevere. I, think. I, I just, I, it's really been fun talking to you. I don't Thanks. want this to end, but we have to go to our next, um, our next time obligation. I'm with, excited. With the team. All your, all your students are going to get to meet you. And thank you for sharing your story with a, a, the audience of people who can't be here to learn from you. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they'll find you on social media and come over to the UK. Yeah. Come yeah. over and come to the school. It's been a total pleasure. And thank you so much for including me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today as we immersed ourselves in flowers as an art form in so many ways. I've just spent a wonderful three days doing the same, communing with the beauty of a special place in nature on Whidbey Island, soaking up the incredible talent and knowledge from our instructors, Susan McCleary and Joseph Massey, and weaving stronger ties with kindred spirits all brought together by Toby Nelson, our visionary host. Further, nurturing connections like these is one reason I am holding the Slow Flower Summit for the second year. 
Thanks to support from the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, I've recently been able to write about the upcoming one-day conference that occurs at the intersection of flower farming and floral design. You can find the link to my recent article that ran in the spring issue of ASCFG's Cut Flower Quarterly in today's show notes. As the Slow Flowers Movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button at deborahprinzing.com in the right column. Thank you to our sponsors who have supported Slow Flowers and all of our programs, including this podcast, American Flowers Week, the slowflowers.com online directory to American Grown Flowers, and our new channels, the Slow Flowers Journal and the 2018 Slow Flowers Summit. They include Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peonies during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon, find Syndicate's USA-made products, and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers, formed in 1988, ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ascfg.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist, family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers Podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table one base at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.